Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Roundtable Podcast, where we interview experts who tackle the tough topics and share strategies and techniques that will help you start, build, and grow your real estate investing business. And now your host, Rob the House Guy. Welcome to the Real Estate Investors Roundtable, where we interview real investors that are active in the market right now, and this is raw, unfiltered content. I'm your host, Rob the House Guy, and this is the exact format that I wish I had when I got started over 20 years ago. So as promised, we're always bringing you the most exciting guests that we could possibly bring you. So all the way from North Carolina, we brought you Joanna Anderson today from Remnant Real Estate Solutions. Welcome, Joanna. Thank you. And from Akron, Ohio, we have Gary Thomas. Welcome, Gary. Thank you, Rob. So the big question a lot of people have, should I buy and hold or should I buy and sell? Or do I do a mixture of both? So what I brought today was a couple people on the opposite ends of the spectrum. Joanna got started about seven years ago after being a biology teacher, right? That's correct. And she decided that she was going to be one of those flippers, like the flip this, flip that type people. And Gary is what you'd call a hoarder. He, he is a house hoarder, and he holds on to everything he possibly can. So we'd like to hear both sides of it today. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for having us. So let's begin. Since, since you're pretty new in this business, tell us a little bit how you got started. Well, I, as you said, I was a biology teacher before. And being a teacher, I really value education. And I know the power of education. So I invested in my education. Having no prior experience in real estate, um, I thought that was an important move. And so I've been doing it for seven years. And within eight months of investing in my education and taking action, which is most important, (laughs) I was able to secure three deals all at once. Two we wholesaled and one we rehabbed. Wow. Let me pause you right there before we get to you, Gary. So you're brand new in this, and you secured three deals at one time? Yes. How nervous were you? (laughs) (laughs) I was extremely nervous, but I was very confident in the education that I invested in. So it took away a lot of the nerves because I had a secure plan to move forward with uh, both strategies. Yeah, see, that's one of the things that a lot of new people come to me with. They're afraid when I say make offer after offer after offer, keep offering, they go, what if I get more than one accepted? But that would lead me to my first point here. As a flipper or wholesaler, it doesn't matter because you're going to get in and out of them. You don't need to raise all this money and hang on to it for the next 30 years. That's right. Awesome. Well, Gary, you've been doing this for six months now? Yes, uh, (laughs) six months and a couple years. (laughs) So tell us a bit about background, uh, when you got started and how you got started. Uh, I met a gentleman in law school that uh, turned me on to real estate and He's still my best friend today, and the running joke is I've never forgiven him yet, so <laughs> it's, a, it's a torture sometimes. But uh, as you said, my idea is buy and hold. I think that's where you really make long-term money in this business. We do a few, I, I wouldn't say flips, but I mean every once in a while we sell a couple houses to pay taxes or we need additional cash. But last year I bought 22 houses, and we probably sold 10. This year I've already bought in six. We've sold about two or three. So how many altogether, if you don't mind? No. What's the most you've ever held at one time? 200. 200 at one time. And see, it's not hard, guys, because you know Gary is 23 years old. He looks great. <laughs> 200 houses at one time. 
Oh my goodness, that's crazy. We're down to about 110 now, 120. Oh. And then my, my son's a realtor. He manages another about 120 that we've sold to investors. Wow. So very, very active then. Mm-hmm. Now, did you ever want to take the, the route that Joanna did with just the in and out real quick? Rarely. Every once in a while we do, but rarely. I just rather, you know, you make, I mean, my system is we borrow money in our Roth IRA, Roth 401k. We pay other investors interest and borrow money out of their Roth, their 401k. So tip, my typical loan is a $25,000 four-year fully amortized loan. So we buy the house. The tenant pays for it over the first four years. I've got a fully paid off property. You know, now I'd be interested in selling it and get all the cash out. When you t- first take, you pay 25, we're going to sell them for probably 45. I'd rather make that whole 45 than just 20 if we'd flip it. Gotcha. Okay. So now I'm going to dive a little deep and we're only going to take like a two minute derailment down to technical zone here. Okay. <laughs> so you were talking about borrowing money. You have an IRA that you're holding this in yes. and you're borrowing money from someone else's IRA. How are you dealing with UBIT tax? Well, on the IRA, uh, UBIT, that means unrelated business income tax. And if you borrow in a Roth IRA, you have to declare whatever portion of the profit that you've derived from that loan. So let's say 100% you, 100% you pay for a loan with that house. Then you have to declare 100% of that income, and then you write off expenses and pay income tax on the UBIT. The way to avoid that is to do it in your Roth 401k. And in Roth 401k, there is no UBIT. And that's the preferred method that we use now. I say IRA and 401k. I've got 10 houses in my IRA, rarely ever borrow in the IRA. But uh, so all the new stuff we buy in the uh, Roth 401k. Okay, great. So I definitely see the benefit of long-term holdings, especially in the tax-sheltered accounts like you're talking about, because you know, in a few years, when you're after you're 59 and a half, and you can start taking all that money out tax free. As soon as I get there, I'll let you know. Let me know when you get there. Another 25 <laughs> years or so. <laughs> I'm already enjoying the fruits of that tax benefit. Uh, you know, we take out whatever you need to take out, but then it all comes out tax free. It's a beautiful thing. So while we're on the topic of IRAs, Elvis is not an IRA show. In your flipping, are you using private capital for your flips, or are you using your own cash or institutional financing, or? Oh, use both. We use hard money, we use private money, and we use uh, IRAs as well. Even I've invested it with my own Roth IRA and done uh, wholesale, or rather prehab in my own IRA. Okay, great. So prehab. Let's, let's dive into what do you mean by prehab for all the viewers at home? Well, with a prehab, you actually buy the property and you're just going to clean it up. You're not going to do any major renovations to it. So with this particular property, we cleaned out the yard and the lady was a hoarder as well. So we got our stuff out of there and then we put it right back on the market. We um, purchased it for $55,000 and sold it for a hundred. Wow. Nice. And even with that, I leveraged her equity in her property, uh, the full $55,000. And that was seller financing. And then the, I just paid the closing costs with my IRA. Okay. So you, this is turning into technical hour with Rob the house guy. <laughs> so you did owner financing. Yes. You took, you know, Sally Seller over here, mm-hmm. bought her house, 55000 owner financing. Used your IRA funds to pay the closing costs. So that tied it to your IRA. You went ahead and put the title or the deed in your IRA. That's correct. And then you cleaned it up, which was maybe a couple thousand bucks right. in cleanup from the hoarder house. 
And then when you sold it, the first 55 went to either her or her lending institution to pay that 55 off, and the balance went into your IRA. That's correct. Tax-free. Tax-free. Yes. Amazing. <laughs> wow, you did invest in some education because that's, <laughs> that's some high-level stuff. And, you know, I know that's scaring a lot of people. People are listening to this going, oh, my gosh, how do I do that? And quite honestly, there's so many people that are involved in these real estate deals along the way that help you. Whether, you know, it, sometimes it's a seller, sometimes it's you, sometimes it's the attorney, the title company. The, if you have an IRA, all those custodians, they have tons of education out there to help you put that together. So being new, clearly you had three deals in contract at one time, so not a lot scares you. <laughs> Were you at all nervous in putting this deal together? Uh, this deal, no, I wasn't because of the seller financing. And I'm also a realtor, so I know the numbers. I'm secure in my, in my numbers of what it will sell for. It actually would have sold for more than 100000 but I wanted it to go quickly. So I listed um, below market so that it would sell quickly and I'd get the money right in my IRA so I could do more deals. I then took the money in my IRA and bought a rental. Perfect. So Okay, so you did go to the dark side here and actually buy and hold something. So you took your profits and you bought and held. Yes, that is the, I mean, buying and holding is the long-term gain. That's, that's what I want to do ultimately. And so flipping, uh, wholesaling and rehabbing is my way to get that down payment money and the holding costs so that I could live life luxuriously <laughs> like Gary over here. <laughs> you know, I think that's very smart for people that just get started to in this business where we call that doing cosmetic surgery. When you're, when you're new, you just want to do cosmetic surgery to a house. You don't want to do brain surgery to a house because you're probably not that experience to do brain surgery. I mean, I do some brain surgery, and you're gonna make more money if you can take a house that's the roof fall in and it's collapsed the ceiling and, you know, or mold, everybody hates mold. Banks hate mold, just mention that in your offer. You know, the mold's <laughs> getting worse every day, a little trick. <laughs> but yeah, if you're starting off, you're gonna do some cosmetic, yeah, we call that cosmetic surgery as opposed to brain surgery or a tickle, tickle rehab where you just paint, sweep it out, you know, do some landscaping outside, trim the shrubbery, and give a little bit of curb appeal. But I, I, that's the way to go if you are going to flip it as a, as a newbie. Simple. Keep it simple. All right. So let, let's talk about longer-term financing. I mean, clearly, you made a wise decision, and you made enough money inside your retirement account that you could buy and hold a free and clear rental. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about long-term. I know my first rental I bought back in the mid-'90s was a disaster. I mean, I thought I knew what I was doing, and I went and got conventional financing, put money down, and the cash flow really wasn't what I thought it was. It made sense saying, okay, well, my principal interest taxes insurance is this much, my rent's this much, I should make 200 bucks a month. But that's not really how it works when you start taking in the vacancy repairs, the CapEx, and everything else. How do you deal with that? Or are you just so loaded you're writing checks for everything and hanging on to it? Exactly. <laughs> uh, if you're going to buy and hold, the minimum number you should profit per unit is probably 200 a month. If you don't have that cushion, because that over the year gives you a 2,400 a month, if it's running for 700, you almost got a two or three month uh, cushion if it does go and run it where you have to evict somebody. Uh, and if you've got, if you're gonna get in this business, you know, get in the business, you can't get in with one or two. If you're gonna get in, you gotta get 10, five or 10, where you've got some economy of scale, or if you have one vacancy in 10, you have a 10% vacancy versus one vacancy with one house, you have 100% vacancy. So, you know, anybody's going to do this. I mean, you've, you've got to look at getting in and, and really getting in. You've got to have a few properties to make it work. Would either of you, 
recommend to someone getting started going into their local corner bank and getting a loan to either buy, fix, and sell or to buy and hold on a single-family home? Yeah, I think if you can do it, banks are just now slowly easing up on the, on the lending range, and they are lending on rental property. For a long time, they weren't. So, yeah, if you can get some local financing and get a bank behind you and do a couple of deals like that, I think that's the best idea. I would say banks are by far going to have the lowest rates. They're going to have the most paperwork, <laughs> but they are going to have the lowest rates. And and they base their funding uh, a lot on your own personal credit. And everyone getting started doesn't have great credit, especially if you are getting started. You've already um, utilized your credit, so your credit score drops usually in the beginning. And so banks, you may not be favorable for a bank to lend to you, but when you get that capability, certainly use them. They're going to have the lowest rates. But and even at that rate, there are there are still plenty of hard money lenders out there and private money lenders that will lend to you at a higher rate, but not as much paperwork. And your credit score doesn't have to be perfect. Gary, you mentioned economy of scale. Right. And we're I'm going back to your original deal that we're all at home listening to and are envious of. <laughs> Where your net profit was so great. Right. I mean, you made, how would you say? I, didn't, I can't do the math in my About head. About 40. About $40,000. I'm envious. Yeah, over here, you're telling me, Rob, I need to make 200 a month or 2400 a year. 2400 a year, it takes a lot of years to make $40,000 and a lot of tenants and a lot of work. Absolutely. Why? Why do you want to put yourself through that versus just taking the easy route? You know, that's true, but you can only do so many of those deals in your IRA, your 401k, before you become what the IRS likes to say, a dealer, and or running a business out of your, out of your IRA, your 401k. For some reason, they don't think collecting rents is a business. That's not, that's passive, as they like to say, which is ridiculous, as we all know. It's the hardest work you'll ever do. But you can only do so many flips in your 401k and your IRA before they're going to look at that and say you're actually running an active business in your, in your 401k. But getting back to what she said about borrowing from local banks, you got to remember in your Roth IRA and either IRA or 401k, Roth or otherwise, you can't do normal financing and you certainly cannot personally guarantee the loan. Right. It has to be what they call non-recourse funding. And a lot of private money lenders understand this. Everybody loaning out of their IRA knows that because they have to do the same thing if they were borrowing in their IRA. So you have to have what they call non-recourse funding. It's very hard to get local banks to do that, lending into your IRA or 401k. It's funny because on the bigger deals, it's easy. You go try to buy a $10 million apartment building, you're not signing personally for that. It's ridiculous. Hey, this is Andy from RealFlow, and our mission is to provide the tools and resources that people need to be a successful real estate investor. So as a listener of our podcast, we want to provide you each week with some of the tools you need on your journey. Check out the show notes to get this week's free gift. Happy investing. Well, I think what you said a few minutes ago might have just wrecked a lot of people's fantasies <laughs> about real estate. You just said passive is hard work. Yes. I don't know, man. Someone's been lying somewhere because isn't it supposed to be mailbox money? And now you're telling me it's hard work to run a rental? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it is mailbox money, but it's also, uh, you know, calling contractors to unplug the drain or, you know, fix repair at the house. And that's why you need some economy of scale. I mean, we've got it down to where if a normal person would call 
a heating contractor to go check the furnace. You're going to get a $220 bill no matter what he does. You know, I've got a local guy that does it for 50 bucks, and that includes cleaning the uh, uh, igniter or wiping it off or relighting it if that's all it needs, and it's 50 bucks instead of 220 So you, you've got to have some, you know, you build up a network of, of contractors that, that save you money. Okay, so you're telling me passive income is hard work. You're making $200 a month or $2,400 a year. Over here, you put a house in your IRA and you made $40,000 and you cleaned it out. Did you clean it out yourself? No way. I'm not allowed to. I, I don't do. <laughs> well, that's a good point. You're not allowed to, yeah. I'm not a, a worker bee. I hire people <laughs> that know what they're doing and have the time to do that. My job is finding more deals and finding more money to do those deals. So I hire contractors to do my work. I hire property managers to manage my properties. Gotcha. So really get what I'm hearing is the biggest fear of you flipping more stuff is Uncle Sam saying that you're a dealer. Yeah, pretty much in, in the IRA 401k. Uh, but the other thing is, you know, she's got to find that next deal to make 40000 on. Yeah. Where if I've got 20 houses paid off. Now instead of the 200 a month net, I'm making 700 gross and net, less your taxes. Especially right. if you get good tenants in there, put them on a, a lease option where they're taking better care of the house. You know, now I'm bringing in 14,000 a month net and 10 a month without having to find another deal. Ah, that's a good point. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to be yeah. like you, Gary. <laughs> and then you take that at 100. <laughs> And you're bringing in seventy thousand a month, and you're netting fifty thousand a month. I think I can well, live on that. Well, let's let's try to hybrid you guys for a second here. <laughs> All right. So you know, buy and hold, buy and flip. What about turning your tenants into homeowners and selling to your tenant? Do you guys either one do that? You're preaching to the choir, man. <laughs> preaching to the choir. Now, that's my number one sales technique because we try not to have tenants. We try to have owners. So. We almost do everything after we rehab it. We give the tenants a four-year lease option. Uh, they put more money down, three to five thousand. Um, we, depending on their rent, we knock off anywhere from 150 a month to 250 a month towards principal for every payment they make. And then after four years, we've even got an out form if they can't get refinanced, and they've made every payment. Then we'll put them on a 10 or 15 year land contract. Why would I want to get rid of a great tenant that hasn't called me in four years to do a repair? Right. Why would I kick them out? I so many landlords do that. It just blows my mind. You've got the perfect tenant. Those are the hardest things to find. I'd put them on a 10 or 15 year because now, remember, my house is paid off after four years. So I've got to build in 10 or 15 year annuity and I don't have to do anything. That's pure mailbox money. That's beautiful. So that's how we tend to sell everything. And we're just now about two, three years into it. So we've only had one or two tenants refinance. But hopefully, like you said, if they don't, I don't care. As long as you make all your payments, I don't care if you refinance or don't refinance. Joanna, what's your take on this? I definitely like the lease option uh, as opposed to rent to own, where they have the option to buy. And if they choose not to buy, then, you know, that's on them. But I would say for the most part, you want to get the tenant that has the right mentality to become a homeowner because many of them are stuck in a tenant mentality. They don't want to do the work. They have no clue how to do the work, who to hire to fix such and such. So uh, I think it's important to get the, the right tenant with the right mindset. I always say mindset is everything. I would say mm -hmm. the mindset between a tenant and a tenant buyer is a tenant will call you to complain about the screen doors broke. The tenant buyer will go to the local store, buy a new screen door and put it on. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So definitely, definitely something to think about. So, all right. So it sounds like we're all just about on the same page at this. It is great for the buying and holding, but the money issue, let's try to solve this money issue with how to buy and hold more faster. Maybe Gary can educate us on this. When you're talking about your house is paid off in four years, everyone's scratching their head saying, what about the 30-year mortgage or the 15-year mortgage? You're saying four years. How? Well, you got to remember, it's a much smaller amount. So typically, we borrow twenty to 25000 uh, on a, a four-year term from our lenders. The payment's going to be around, I think it's five forty-eight a month at 12%. Somebody can do the math out there, but it's close to that. You're getting 700, 750 rent, so there's not a lot of cash flow. It's going to be cash flow neutral, maybe even a little bit negative the first four years. But the end result is you got a house paid off in four years, and you're not paying that much interest, even though it's 12%. I think it works out to, uh, is it 550 would be what, 65, like 20? You're only going to pay like five, 7,000 interest because the term is so short. Because your first payment at 555, you're whacking like 350 a principal. Because of the amortization. Yeah, because of the amortization. I know a lot of questions. When you were talking about your house that you sold for $100,000 and you, and you paid $55,000 for it, you're talking about $20,000 houses. Is this because of certain neighborhoods? Is this because you're buying them in really distressed and need a lot of work? Uh, typically, we stay out of the really distressed neighborhoods. One thing good about Akron is we don't really have any truly blighted areas. Uh, there's some fringe neighborhoods that we, we don't buy in. Typically, we buy in... Uh, the blue collar sections of the old rubber, there were old rubber uh, companies, and they were old rubber workers or blue collar. Uh, typically, the house needs a little bit of work, but it's still amazing what you can get for twenty five thousand dollars if you look. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, for your strategy right now, you're flipping, getting the cash, and just picking all that money and putting it into there. Do you have any strategy as far as refinancing any of the assets that you already hold to buy more stuff? Or is your main strategy to only flip your way to equity? Uh, so I do, for every wholesale deal I do, for every rehab I do, I buy a rental. And so I buy those rentals with uh, either hard money or private money at the moment. And then once I get 10, I refinance them. And then another set of 10 and I refinance them and cash out and buy more rentals so that I get to the 200 like Gary and live, uh, I'm going to say live like Gary. <laughs> <laughs> live like Gary. <laughs> Although I won't be managing my own properties. <laughs> Let's explain hard money to everybody. What is hard money? Oh, so hard money is usually an institution um, or a, a fund that's lending to on specifically real estate deals. Uh, mostly they deal with rehab projects. Some of them also do rentals or transactional funding for wholesaling. Uh, they charge higher interest rates than normal mm -hmm. and they also charge points. But for the most part, they based their funding on the deal itself and with probably 25% on the person and their credibility and rehabbing projects or handling those deals. Go ahead. I heard it described as hard to get, harder to pay back. <laughs> they're, uh, they're very high interest rates, but it's a necessary evil, especially if you're going to do a flip or uh, you know a short-term loan, one or two year. Um, and there are some lenders, private lenders, that'll do hard money loans. 
I, I like to describe them as the loan-to-own programs. They're not lending on you. They're, they are lending you money in the hopes that you can't pull this together, and they get a great <laughs> asset at a great price. <laughs> one, of my, one of my investors said that once. We were at, talking at an equity trust event, and she goes, uh, she goes, my biggest hope is I hope Gary defaults and I get all these really wonderful houses. <laughs> like, not going to happen. <laughs> not gonna. Okay, so some people might say the flip side is soft money. What is? How would you describe the flip side to... You know, the uh, Uncle Guido coming and lending you guys money for your houses. <laughs> I don't know what soft money is. I don't either. I don't either. <laughs> so I want to be clear. When you say flip, do you mean wholesaling? Well, wholesaling, typically you're not bringing any money to the table. You're assigning a contract to somebody. So I guess in – not I'm, well, I'm actually using the flip side, like just the other side of the coin to hard money. Okay. Is there cheaper money out there than this 12% that's not giving you – a stack of paperwork this thick to have to go to a bank and qualify. Well, she was talking about hard money lenders versus private lenders. Private lender, if you if it's a friend or you make a business acquaintance and you go down the road, typically you can get that maybe for eight to ten range, but you're still going to be paying in that range, I think. Yeah, but no points. No in, points in most yeah. cases, right. and the points are really late. Can oh, yeah. kill the deal. Absolutely, the, the points kill the deal, and I'm always I'm always argumentative with people that are so rate conscious. I'm like, do you realize how much cheaper it is than a partner? I'm like, you're paying 15%. I'm saving you 35% right now. And then even rentals, people say, well, what interest rate am I going to get if I were to buy this on a land contract? Well, right now you're at 100% interest rate. So let's say I give you 95% interest. You're still 5% ahead of the game. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. People get wrapped up in those rates, but... Um, let's say that I did that previous deal that I bought for 55000 with seller finance. And had I had a hard money lender and they charged me, I don't know, let's say ridiculous 15% interest, I still would have made money where maybe I didn't have that 55000 at all, but I could leverage their financing and still make money. Or I could be upset about their 15% and not make money. Exactly. It's a no-brainer. You're going to make money or you're not. The one common denominator that everybody has here is time. Because if it's 105 degrees outside, that's really rough if you're out there all day. But if you're out there for five minutes, it's very tolerable. And it's the same with interest rates. Both of you, the one common denominator you have is you're both in and out of these deals pretty quickly. You may be flipping out of this quickly, but you're going on a four or five year amortization schedule. So it's very tolerable to to have a 15% rate if you're getting out of the kitchen pretty quick. Right. So Let's talk about some takeaways that we can give the viewers. Let's give the viewers some write-down moments here. And, and let's start with, uh, start with you, Joanna. Let's talk about what would you tell someone new getting started that you'd say, if there's one thing you learned today on this, it would be X. It would be have a set of goals, short-term and long-term. And all of your short-term goals should be leading to your long-term goals. My long-term goal is to be like Gary. (laughs) But in the short term, I'm going to put some more effort into flipping and wholesaling so that I can build that rental portfolio and retire. My goal is to retire at 52. At 52 to retire? Yes. About 20 more years to go. (laughs) (laughs) Gary? Um, I think she has a very good system for... uh, newbies coming into the business. And what her system is, she's a realtor, you have to know your market. You have to know, you'd be an expert if you, on one street, one area, 
just know every time you go up the house, that house is for 50, that's 50, that's 50. Oh, this one's 32. Let's go look at this one. Oh, it's going to take 20 to fix it. That's not a deal. But you have to know the market you're going to invest in and, and know a deal when a deal, you see it. And then two, jump on it. Don't let the opportunity, don't let the naysayers say, oh, you can't make any money in real estate. You know, that's only for on TV and stuff. You have to do it. If you don't do it, you're not going to do anything. I, right now, if I were a vinculturist, I came to that word, <laughs> and I was throwing my voice to these two, it's exactly what I would say. Everyone that we ask always has the goals and exactly what you're saying. And everything is knowing your market, knowing exactly where you are and what the houses are going for, what it takes to fix them up. Awesome, awesome advice for, from both you guys to the viewers. So now the final question is, you're both in real estate, and you were a, a past biology teacher, and I think you just bought your first house when you were 12. Yeah. So, but what freedoms has real estate given you that a job would not have? Wow. Well, I am a mom first, and being a mom requires um, a lot of time and a lot of quality time. And because I do real estate, as opposed to teaching biology for high school students and bringing work home and grading papers and calling other people's parents, I have that time now to really focus on my own children. And I even have a grandchild now <laughs> that I get to focus on. So um, real estate has really given me my time back to use as I want to use it. Awesome. Uh, I, I travel, which is what I've always wanted to do, and we travel extensively. About every quarter we'll go someplace. I've been to London twice in the last year. Uh, this year's from Brazil, went to the uh, uh, see the U.S. team uh, when they performed in Brazil. My son's a chiropractor. He's on the, uh, the company that works, uh, uh, could do the chiropractic for the judo and wrestling team. We got to go to their camp and meet the, the guy from Ohio State that won the gold medal. I mean, 10 days down in Brazil is incredible. And we go to St. Kitts quite a bit, the Bahamas. We're leaving tomorrow morning for Kansas City for four days, see the Indians play in a loge on Saturday night. I get to go to that. So it gives me an opportunity to travel around. Isn't it cool to hear this kind of stuff? Like people living their dreams, and there's no pitch after it saying, enter your credit card here, <laughs> and you can live the same life. You guys are just truly raw, unfiltered. You told me I got to say that at the end. Enter your credit card here. What do you think I'm here for, my health? You don't have time to coach anyone. You're off jet-setting around the world. They get to follow me for a day. <laughs> follow Gary for a day. I'll tell you what. There is, we, we touched on so many things in this episode. There's a couple rabbit holes I really want to go down with each of you. So I'd love to have both of you separately back on different shows to go down different rabbit holes. I try to stay on topic while I'm here and, and stick with the buy and hold versus buy and flip. But boy, there's a lot more stuff. And you're both a wealth of knowledge. And I'm sure a lot of folks are learning a lot from you. So we'd love to have you back on. Thank you, both of you. I'd love to be back. And you've all been watching the Real Estate Investors Roundtable. I'm your host, Rob the House Guy. And remember, nothing works unless you do. This episode is brought to you by RealFlow, the smart way to invest in real estate. All the tools you need to automate lead generation and marketing. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to leave us a review and subscribe. And you can get a copy of the transcript in the show notes below. Happy investing.